Well, the topic today is the spirit. So I know what happens with people when you start talking about the spirit. There's usually generally one of two responses. Number one is, oh no, this is gonna get weird. It's gonna go three little pigs, huff and puff and blow us all over because there's PTSD maybe from a church or some experience or you're invited to somebody's house and things were uncomfortable for you. So that's one group. And then the other group is like, it's about time. I wanna go get my tambourine and a flag. Let's do this thing, right? Because if you look at Edgewater, we're a potpourri of different denominations and different groups, right? Like, and I love that. I love that we can come together. That's what, that's what eternity will be. So we might as well get some practice right now, right? So we got people that are charismatics and cessationists and Calvary Chapel and Baptist and Pentecostals, and I call them Bapticostals, kind of a hybrid between those two, Lutherans and Methodists and Assemblies of God and Church of Christ and Nazarenes and Catholics and did I miss anyone? Pagans, good old bonfire, conga banging pagans. Welcome, we're glad you're here, right? So that, that's a really good thing. But because of that, there's always like, hmm, what's gonna happen? Well, I'll tell you, I'm not gonna handle snakes and I won't drink poison today, right? So in 50 years of church, what I've noticed with people, especially when it comes to the things of the spirit, is there's a tendency to almost rebel against what church you were raised in. So if you're raised in a really hyper-charismatic Pentecostal church where it was free-flowing and long worship sets until people cried and speaking in tongues in the middle, then it's like, I'm pushing off of that. I'm an Anglican now. I want just a book of liturgy. I want to know exactly what's going to be preached on every single week of the year. I want order. So it's kind of push off. And then the other side, I went to a uh, stuffy kind of church that had no spirit in it. It's like, okay, I want the freedom to do what I want. And I always think to myself, like, I don't know if the best way of determining your theology is rebellion against what you were raised in. I think a better way is to carefully and prayerfully search the scriptures and say, what do the scriptures say? right? That we need a theology that drives the things that church does. And so that's the healthiest way forward. And that's really what we're trying to do right now. And this is a series called Lines. And this is a line for us as a church. Like, here's the way we look at things. And it's on the things of the Spirit. So the first question I always ask people that are all into this, I just say this. I say, okay, who was the first Spirit-filled believer in the Bible? Good call. Genesis chapter two. You guys know the story. God's creating. And then he stops. Time out in heaven. Conversation happens. And then God gets his hands dirty, doesn't he? He reaches down and forms the man out of the dirt. Why does God do that? Because he's going to get his hands dirty a lot with humans until finally his hands get pierced and they get really bloody and dirty. God gets his hands dirty, right? And he forms the man out of the dirt. And then what does God do? 
The Hebrew is ruach. We had just seen the word ruach in chapter one, where it said the ruach hovered over the chaotic waters and took the chaotic waters and began to form and fill them. So what does God do with man? He forms and he fills the man with his ruach, divine spirit. So humans, you and I, this is what we are. We are dirt plus the divine. Or I put it this way, we are divine dirt bags. Some more divine, some more dirtbaggish, right? But we all are that hybrid. And there's really a battle in life of where are we gonna go with those? And what did Adam do? The first ruach-filled, spirit-filled believer, he believes in God because God is right there walking with him. What does he do? Does he speak in tongues? Nope. Does he sing a praise song and repeat it 50 times in a row? No. What does he do? He gardens. The very first spirit-empowered believer tends to the garden, right? That, that should destroy any category that we kind of have of, oh, this is how the spirit works. Because we all have in our head, and I'm not trying to mock praise styles or anything, but we have in our head this category that says, this is a spirit-filled church. But mostly what that is, is we're basing that on our culture and an event that took place in 1906 in Azusa Street down in LA. That's what we're basing on, that we're now saying, that's the ideal spirit-filled church. And I think, hold on a second. We're not supposed to base paradigms on something that took place 100 years ago. We're supposed to be basing it on the Bible. That a spirit-filled church should, like, should look like the one book in the Bible that talks about the spirit-filled church. Guess what that book is? Book of Acts. Here's what happens when a group of believers form a church and they're filled with God's spirit. How often do you see them speaking in tongues? It's pretty rare. How often do you see them singing songs over and over and over again? Pretty rare. What's the theme? They preach Jesus. And when they preach Jesus, they end up getting the snot kicked out of them, beaten and put into jail. Then if our paradigm for the spirit-filled church was the Bible, then it would be a group of people that talk a lot about Jesus and are in the hospital or jail. That would be a spirit-filled church, okay? So I'm just trying to like, hold on a second. Let's make sure where we're getting our ideas from. Let's be really careful about this. And here's why. I think there is a delusion and a strong delusion that's creeping into the church. And we've been warned about this. I'll read just a handful of the many warnings that you see in the Bible when it comes to look out, look out. So 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. And you can look these up. I recommend that. For such men are false apostles. He's talking about a group of people that have infiltrated the church. And they take these big titles, not just a saint or a Christian, biblical titles, I'm an apostle. And they are deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
that the deceit is not going to be a pitchfork and black tar heroin. It's going to be light, apostle, power, right? And here's another one. This is 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, are we in the latter times? Of course we are. Some will depart from the faith. How? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Why would you do that? Because they look like angels of light. That's why. It looks good. And teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars, false prophets, bringing in false spirits that end up destroying people's faith. Here's another one. This is Colossians 2.18. Let no one disqualify you. If we're being warned about being disqualified, what does that mean? You can be disqualified. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason. They're not using their heads. By his sensuous mind. What's a sensuous mind? I feel. Not I think, not I know, I feel. That's a sensuous mind. Not holding fast to the head. Who's the head? Jesus, simple, <laughs> right? They're like chickens with their heads cut off, just running around, sensual. I feel this, I feel that. And, and this is just a handful. There are tons of these. And the Bible is really clear. A line in the Bible is stay away from sorcery and witchcraft. And you look at the long story of Israel's history is this. They would worship Yahweh for a while, and then they would get sucked into demonic, dark things. And it happened time and time again. And so New Testament warns over and over and over, don't think you're any better than them. Be careful. The same thing can happen to you, and the same thing can happen to me. Be careful, right? Stay away from stuff like transcendental meditation, tarot cards, oracle cards, breath work. How did that become the most spiritual discipline now? I get sent things from ministries that are telling me, come and we'll teach you how to do breath work. And I want to read the Bible and say, um, where did Jesus do breath work? Where did the, the, the apostles do breath work? To me, it is a counterfeit of meditation, which is an actual biblical practice. But breath work is about emptying yourself. And be careful of something that's empty. It gets filled up with garbage. Meditation is being full of something. I'm filling myself with God's word. I'm filling myself with his spirit. It's very different. Be careful, right? Stay away from spiritual yoga. Stay away from crystals and, and uh, the manifestation craziness that's out there all, all, all the time. Be like like... People now are dabbling. There was a study done. People are dabbling now. Like, I can't remember what the number was. A third or uh, 40% of Christians have played around the Ouija board. I just think, why? Why would you do something like that, right? Psychic readings. We got Jesus. You have his spirit. Are you kidding? Be careful. Don't play with dark forces. 
They'll appear great, angel of light. It'll look good. But the end is always destruction and chaos. The fruit of it is hurt and anxiety and anger and violence, nightmares and terrors and suicide. That's the fruit of it. Looks good on, the, on one side, but the fruit is always bad and negative. Be careful. Matt, you're really serious. Yeah, because it's happened here at Edgewater. So I've been meeting with this young lady um, and she's church person, been around for a long time, um, got involved with the group, began to go to the house about their house two years ago and started to hear things. And um, uh, during the process of this, she said, because of this, and I'll explain what it was, in December, she said, I had a gun on a table and I was ready to take my life. From, man, love Jesus is awesome to suicidal. So here's what happens. She goes to this meeting and they say, oh, you go to Edgewater and well, you need to know this about your pastor, that we had a very powerful seer here. I don't know why they use the word seer, but they do. We had a very powerful seer here and she saw in the spirit world that there is a demonic spirit of Python wrapped around Matt Heverly's heart and it's whispering lies into his ears so that when he preaches, only lies come out. So this young lady hears it. She's like, oh, I can't go to that church anymore. So she gets isolated and only starts going to this group and listening to them and leads her down a bad trajectory. So I'm listening to this and I say, what's the name of that ministry? Thank you. They're local here. So I called them up. I said, this is Matt Heverly. Tell me about yourselves. And so it was blah, 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 blah. We are an intercessory ministry. We pray for people all over the world. We have powerful seers in here. You're welcome to come down here and be set free from whatever, whatever manifestation has happened to you, whatever demons have got you. Um, we'll get rid of all the generational curses that you have in your life. Come on down here. I said, so when, when did this seer come that prophesied that I had this demonic spirit? Oh, it happened about seven years ago. I said, oh. So for seven years, you have known, scare quotes, that I have this demonic spirit on me that's causing me to preach lies 52 times a year, at least. For seven years, you've known about that. And you love the body of Christ so much and you want the body of Christ to do so well. And you didn't bother telling me. I said, I know you're liars. Because if you truly cared for me or you cared for the body of Christ, you would have done Matthew 18, which says, if you know something like that, you go first to that person. Instead, you have slandered my name. You caused a young lady to almost commit suicide. You're a liar. I don't have a demonic spirit. I have Ephesians 1.13, the spirit of Almighty God, period. I don't have generational curses. Ezekiel 18 puts it like this. God says, I will not visit the father's sins upon the son. The soul that sins, it shall die, right? Read Ezekiel 18, read Ezekiel 33. No such thing as a generational curse, 100%. I said, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new in my life. This is garbage. Stop talking about me. Stop slandering me. In fact, stop your ministry because its fruit is bad. And that's how the conversation ended. I do not think they'll be attending here, which is fine with me. It's not right. The fruit is bad. And it happens right here. Why? Well, people want to be more spiritual. 
People, and, and there's a play in on it that here's the easy way, here's the fast way. No, sanctification is a long obedience in the same direction. It's week after week walking out our faith as we follow Jesus saying no to lies and deception, okay? So here are the lines. When we talk about the spirit, here are the lines. Number one, line number one is this. What is the goal of the spirit in the life of the believer? Goosebumps, tongues, manifestations, have a feeling, sensualness. I'll give it to you. It's Acts chapter one, verse eight. You can look it up. You shall receive the power, dunamis, the dynamite of the spirit to, anyone know? Be my witnesses. When Jesus talks about the goal of the spirit, it's one thing, be my witness. So when people start talking about techniques or they start talking about men or powerful women or whatever it is, I just say, no, nah, no. The goal of the spirit is always to be his witness. And what you see in the pattern of Acts is this, there's one baptism, you get that when you get saved, and there's many fillings. Over and over it says they were filled with the spirit. When we're baptized in the spirit, you're baptized in the spirit, period. And then, yes, we're leaky vessels. I leak it out. I pray all the time. I prayed this morning before I came and preached. Jesus, this morning, fill me with the power of your spirit so I can proclaim your word in truth because I am a leaky vessel and I need to be filled over and over and over again. And notice it doesn't say, go witnessing. It says, be my witness. Witnessing is not something you check off a list, like, okay, I went out witnessing on Saturday, I knocked on five doors, I'm good. It's be my witness. It's like this, you, you know people that, they always talk about something. Maybe it's a diet, maybe it's their car, maybe it's a conspiracy theory, maybe it's their kids, maybe it's, I don't know, but they all, you know that conversation's coming up. Now, why do they always talk about that diet or whatever it is? Because it's changed their life and they wanna share it. That's the book of Acts. People couldn't, it wasn't a duty to go do it. It was, Jesus has so changed my life. I can't help but to get out and talk about him. He has so transformed me. I have to tell people, right? It's over and over and over again. That when I look at what a spirit-filled life is, it looks like Jesus. He is the example of a spirit-filled life. He's it, right? So over and over, like, okay. And people that are all into fads or whatever it is, I always say, well, let me read the life of Jesus and see if Jesus was into that because he is the example of a spirit-filled life. Gets baptized, the spirit descends upon him and he is commissioned for the work that he's to do. His life is it, okay? So I always say, does his life line, does her, does his, do their life line up like Jesus? Because we're to be witnesses of him. That's the goal of the lever. Line number two, how do you know then if something is a real work of the spirit? He's got people telling you, hey, the Spirit's over here, the Spirit's doing this, hey, you come to this meeting. How do you know if something is a genuine, real work of the Spirit? Okay, and we are warned, here's what we're warned of. It's 1 John 4, verse one. Test the Spirits. Don't just accept what people are telling you. Test the Spirits. So I am, I call myself a quizzical charismatic. 
I believe God still acts. I'm not a cessationist that God doesn't do this stuff anymore. I still believe God acts, but I am a tester. I'm quizzical, right? I believe God works, right? I am skeptical of everything, but I am willing to believe anything because Jesus came out of a grave. And if Jesus came out of a grave, okay, God, you can do anything, but I'm gonna make sure and do what the Bible says, and I'm gonna make sure and test it, right? Because I know Look at the whole history of Israel. Look at the history of the church early on in the book of Acts. There's a deception and it's constantly trying to work from within. So I had better be testing this stuff. And it's wisdom, not a lack of faith. Quizzical charismatic. So how do you test? Number one, a genuine work of the spirit will number one, make much of Jesus. It won't be all about a man, It won't be all about some kind of new manifestation, whatever it might be, holy laughter, rolling around. It won't be about that. It will make much of Jesus Christ. Look at John 15, 26, John 16, 13. When the spirit comes, it's going to testify of me. Jesus will be high and lifted up and all men will be brought to him. So techniques and people, if they're the main thing, I just, I'm, I'm already out, I'm out. Now, if it's making much of Jesus, you've got me. I'm intrigued. If it's sensuality, well, we just feel this way. Mm, Nope, not gonna do that. Number two, it will be causing people to grow in their holiness. You look at Romans 8, 29, the whole goal of the believer is to be conformed to the image of the Son. You can look at 2 Corinthians 3, 18, that says this, that as we behold the Lord, we are transformed, Greek word, metamorphosized, caterpillar into a butterfly, tadpole into a frog. We are metamorphosized. We are transformed into the same image by the power of the spirit from glory to greater glory. That's what happens. You become more and more holy. You grow. Number four, number three, excuse me. It will expand the mission. That you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. You'll want to see his kingdom come and his will be done way more than my own will. You will be being his witness. Why? Because your life has been touched by Jesus through his spirit. And you can't help but proclaim it and see the mission grow. Number four, it will be biblical. So Peter tells us, 2 Peter 1.21, that the Old Testament, New Testament as well, that what happened was People were moved, men were moved by the spirit to author scripture. So ultimately the scripture is the big author of scripture using tools, no doubt, but the author of scripture is the spirit. That's why it's so unified, so brilliant. It's a masterpiece. So it'll be biblical. The spirit's not gonna deny, do something different than the spirit authored, right? So no matter what, it's gonna be backed up by scripture. So I've had men come to me and say this, Matt, God told me to leave my wife. Hmm. You know what I say? Actually, God told you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's what God told you to do. But Matt, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not in love with her anymore. The Bible doesn't say be in love with your wife. The Bible says love your wife. Why? I just don't know if I can do that. Okay, fine. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. And she is your closest neighbor. Go home and love your wife. 
Actually, Matt, I just moved out. Okay, fine. Jesus says this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. Love her as a sister in Christ. Well, Matt, I'm just not sure if she's saved. Okay, fine. The Bible says, love your enemies. Go home and love your wife. That's the Bible. Okay? The Spirit won't tell you to do something that the Bible has clearly told us to do, right? That's it, over and over. And so when, when you look at especially the fruit of people's lives. What fascinates me is this. Some of the most hyper, like spiritual, enlightened people, I look at their lives and it's a train wreck. Like your marriage is terrible. That's not fruit of a spirit-empowered person. Something's amiss here. Go back to the basics, right? So people that are all into it and they'll say, well, Edgewater's not enlightened enough or this or that. You know what I say? I say, when I get to heaven, guess what I won't be asked by Jesus? He won't ask me, Matt, why didn't you speak more in tongues? He won't ask me. Matt, why didn't you do more miracles in my name? He won't ask me that. In fact, Jesus talks about a group, it's Matthew chapter seven, that come to him and claim all these things. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? And guess what Jesus says to them? Depart from me, I don't know you. That's not gonna be the test. When I get to heaven, you know what the test is? Matt, did you give that child a cup of cold water? Matt, when you saw people that need clothing, did you give them some clothes? Matt, when you saw hungry people, did you feed them? Matt, when people were sick, did you go visit them? Matt, when people were in prison, did you write letters to them? Did you try to get in and see them? That's the test. Hmm. Sounds a lot more like the book of Acts than what we make a spirit so-called enlightened church look like today. Those are the measures, right? So people that get all into this kind of like, oh, you know, I'm trying to do this and that. I just say, oh, okay, wait a second. Are you doing the clear Biblical commands already. Are you loving your wife, loving your husband like you're supposed to? Are you doing those things? Are you doing the, the commands of scripture that when we get to heaven, Jesus will ask me about that? Man, if you've checked off all of those, which will take a lifetime, then go for something new. And I'm always worried about the new, 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 new thing. Gotta have a fresh word, gotta have a new thing. Man, I, I've been spending, this, spending a lot of time in the word for, I don't know, 25 years. It's still new and fresh to me. Every time I read it, I met on these pages. And my verse for, it, for all these things is this, and I give this to people that are all, hey, we need to be doing this. It's Jeremiah 6, 16, let me read it for you. It's my prayer very often. Listen to what Jeremiah 6, 16 says. Thus says Yahweh, Circle those places, God speaking. Stand by the roads and look. You're at crossroads, you're trying to figure out what to do, what church to go to. And ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. People that are all angsty and like, why are you, I just think, 
I don't know, man. Ask for the ancient ways. Find that rest in your soul. But notice the response. But they said, we will not walk in it. (laughs) No, we want this thing over here. Okay. Where I'm at is, I want the ancient paths tread for 2,000 years by heroes of the faith. Give me those. Give me those. Well, Matt, what about the gifts, right? I hear all these things about the gifts of the Spirit, and okay, this deserves a month of sermons, so it's going to be really brief and quick. But if you don't know about the gifts, let me just read them for you. Um, There's two main texts, Romans chapter 12. It says this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, diversity in the body, brilliant. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. There are some gifts. Another group, 1 Corinthians 12, eight through 10. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. I love that. Not a healer, gift of spirit, and then it just makes sure and say, by the one spirit. I'm not healing anybody. Nobody's healing anybody. The spirit heals. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Oh, we need that to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. There's also a group in 1 Peter chapter 4, you can read them. So if you look at the New Testament, there are 21 gifts talked about. Is that the list? Figure out which one you are. Some would say that. I would say, if you believe that, you're missing out. Acts, or excuse me, Genesis chapter two. Adam is full of the Ruach to garden and subdue evil in it. That's why he's filled with God's spirit. You go to Exodus, this guy's named Bezalel. It says literally God's spirit filled him to be a craftsman and to build the tabernacle. Spirit empowered craftsmanship. You miss Joseph who is full of God's spirit to be a politician, the first miracle in scripture, right? Like, oh, what? (laughs) A godly man doesn't touch the gals, fool the spirit, and he's a politician. Man, pray that November 8th, there are Joseph kind of people put in positions to lead us as a city, as a county, as a state, as a country, because that's what we need. Vote, vote for Joseph kind of people that are full of God's spirit and able to lead us in those ways. Right, you mess out on those. So the way that I look at those, it's just Paul, Peter are saying, hey, look at the diversity that God works in. And you can have that same spirit to, wow, build something. I think there's a gift 
of a mechanic. I was with this guy when I first got saved, Kent Rusi, Caldwell, Idaho. And we stopped by this guy who had a broken down truck. He opened the hood of the truck, reached in there and said, this wire right here is broken. I'm dead serious. I could not believe it. He cut the wire, it was broken, put it back together, truck fired right up. The guy said, I've been here for two hours. I cannot, could not figure out that. I, and then later in the truck, I'm like, Kent, how'd you do that? He goes, right when I got it, I prayed, Lord, help me to help this guy so I can testify to you. And boom, like, oh, wow, what was that? That's a miracle is what that is, right? So what are gifts? I have a definition. I think, do I have a definition of them? No, I don't. Okay, here, I'll give it to you. Here's what gifts are. They are special divine endowments. They are, excuse me, divine endowments of special abilities for service to the body of Christ. And there's tons of them, I think. I think there's a spiritual gift of working on computers. I am so grateful for Josh and Doug and Johnny. Brilliant, man. I'd be lost without them right? Like, praise the Lord. They get this thing going every Sunday and Wednesday. Like, thank you guys that God has given them a divine empowerment, right? So that's the gifts. Now, the controversial ones, the ones that cause division in the church to be like cessationists, guys that don't believe God's spirit works that any, anymore, continuationists, people that believe they work, then charismatics, and then Pentecostals, we just start splitting it off. It's called the sign gifts, and the sign gifts, I have them. That was just a slide. Here's the sign gifts. Words of wisdom. That's Acts chapter 15. James, big controversy. He gives us word of wisdom. Everyone agrees. For all Christians to agree, miracle, right? Because we all have our opinions. Words of knowledge. This is Jesus, John chapter one, when Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. Nathaniel comes, he's like, doubting Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree when Philip came and called you. And he goes, what? How'd you know that? Word of knowledge. Gifts of healing, obvious. Miracles. Five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 and 12 baskets left over. Tongues. Speaking in tongues. Interpretation of those tongues. And prophecy. These are the ones that divide church up. What you believe about them, where you stand on them, what happens with them. And tongues, since 1906, has been like the line in the sand. Now, why? I've said this, and I'll say this again and again. I will offend you at Edgewater. So if you're Pentecostal, I'm going to offend you. Matt at edgewaterfellowship.org. Why is tongues the big one? Why is it the, either you speak in tongues or you don't speak in tongues? Why is that the, the controversial one? Here's why. It's the easiest one to fake, right? Hyundai, Yamaha, Kawasaki, right? And then if there's no interpretation, I'll do it. Thus saith the Lord. I saw my sheep without a shepherd that they have been scattered upon the hills. I am gonna gather them and bring them into the promised land. But you need to first rid yourself of sin in the camp, amen. Okay, how do I argue with that? I can't argue with that, right? It's the easiest one to just make it up. I'm not saying people are making it up. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying if you want to make one up, that there is the easiest one to make up. And I am a quizzical charismatic, so I'm going to be asking and questioning and be like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. I don't know, right? 
And people that claim this stuff and claim that they're full of the Spirit and they have all these powers, I just want to say to them, okay, great. You and me after service, let's get in my car. I will drive you up to Dornbecker's in Portland where I've walked those halls and I've seen kids with cancer, brain cancer and leukemia and visited a family with a very sick child. And when I got in my car, I just cried. It's the saddest place on earth. Let's go up there and let's heal all those kids. If the spirit's so powerful, because you won't be able to refute that. There's no refuting miracles. Five loaves and two fish feeding 5,000. There's no refuting words of wisdom and words of knowledge. You, you, you can't. So to me, it's just, okay, I don't know. Yes, maybe, not sure. But a miracle, yes, yes, power. Praise the Lord. So here's my personal dilemma on this. When I look at that list and I think about it, there's one gift on there that intrigues me because it's a gift that I think is maybe the most necessary for 2022 and going ahead in the church. And you see it, I'm a biblical theology guy. I love the long lines of scripture where you just see these themes. And this is one that has that theme. Look, it's all the way back in the book of Numbers. Let me read this for you. This is God first working with his people. They're out of the world, if you would. They're crossed the Dead Sea. They're baptized. And now they're, the Red Sea, excuse me. And now they're in the wilderness and something happens. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. And they did not continue doing it, but they did not continue it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. And they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Tattletale, right? A young man. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, from as you said, my Lord, Moses stopped them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Hmm. Maybe that was the goal. Maybe Adam, and it skips now to the 70, and then you see the very first king named Saul. First things in the Bible are real important. The first king named Saul, not the best king in the world, but what happens the moment he is anointed as king? It says the spirit fell on him and he began to prophesy. And it was said of Saul, is Saul among the prophets? Wow. Or Joel chapter two. This is quoted in the very first message preached to the church in Acts chapter two. Super important text. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. 
even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Young, old, male, female, power of God's spirit. Prophesy, visions, right? Amazing, dream dreams. Old people dream dreams, why? Because when we sit down, we fall asleep. That's why. Like, okay, I can talk to you now. All right, okay, now New Testament, 1 Corinthians. This is the Pentecostal church of the Bible. Tongue church of the Bible. Listen to what Paul says. Pursue love. What's the greatest command? Love God, all your heart, mind, soul. Love your neighbor yourself. Pursue love, right? Stick with the biblical commands. I know there's all this fun stuff over there. Love people and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. We should want spiritual gifts. Why? Divine endowments to see God's work go out through us. Especially that you may speak in tongues, sing praise songs, prophesy. For the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, edification, exhortation, comfort, King James Version. Prophecy. Now, what's prophecy? Here's a good definition of prophecy, I think. And I think I have this one written out. It is God's message proclaimed in the power of the Spirit that presses deep into the hearts of people, enabling them to see their lives and circumstances in the light of God's promises, priorities, and purposes. I think we need prophecy. Here's why. So rewind the clock three and a half years. My wife and I, we take off to this pastor's retreat. It's up in Lake Tahoe. It's my burden. I have to bear it. So we're up there. There's about 30 of us up there. Um, one night, I'm just there. I'm, I'm participating. That I'm not leading anything. I'm just participating. So we're there. One night, they said, okay, here's what we can do. Everyone's going to break up into, there's, there's 30 of us, so 10 groups of three. And you're going to sit, and you're going to pray, and you're going to ask, Lord, do you have a word for me to speak to the other two people in my group? Now, I don't like stuff like that. I'm a student of the Bible. I study hard. That's what I do. That's my gift. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to be exposed as unspiritual now. Ah, oh, man. All right. So anyways, but what are you going to do, right? So get in my group. I sit down and the guy that sits down opposite to me, we all have name tags. Mine says Matt Edgewater. I look at his, his says Matt River's Edge. I'm like, what in the world? All right, Lord, what's going on here, right? Like, and, and then he, he looked like me, just buff and handsome. I'm like, yes. So Right? We wait on the Lord. He comes back. He goes, all right. I saw two things for you, Matt. And he's going to sound crazy. Now, to set this up, the week before we left to go up there, staff, we'd met here, and we'd kicked around this idea. And the idea was this. What if we went old school? And we built a bunch of soapbox derby cars. And we made them, and we had a big festival down here, and we raced them and just get kids out of their homes and off video games and just enjoying just the brilliance of God. Have groups of people build them and paint them. It'll be so much fun, right? 
So that was like the genesis for the boxcar derby. But I had my doubts. I'm like, yeah, I just don't know. You know, it will work. What's the deal? You know, so we were just in the, the throw it on the wall, see if it sticks stage. That was all it was. So, so, so we just had that conversation. Go up there. He's like, okay, first of all, he goes, I saw this. I saw a train and you were at the front of the train and you were just like pressing as hard as you could on that throttle, just like, go train, go. And he said, God told me to tell you, I've got the train. Enjoy the ride. I got the train, man. You're trying so hard to keep everything going and spinning all these plates and making sure everything's right. You're not enjoying the ride. Relax. Enjoy the ride. I'm the captain of the train, right? And and when someone says that, I'm always like, well, you know, that could go for any senior pastor, right? Anyone who's in a position of like, oh, responsibility, I'm like, "Mm, big love. All right, whatever. Right? But then he said, but then I saw this other one. And he goes, you're going to say, just think I'm crazy. But I saw you and you were laughing and you were having this great time. It was some kind of festival. And at this festival, there were these, these little, these cars that people were sitting in and racing. You know those cars? And I'm like, what in the world? And then I'm thinking, I'm not going to give him the name. If this is God's spirit, He'll figure out their name. So I just sat there. What are you talking about, man? He's like, you know, the little cars, they got little tires and you build them and you sit them and you drive them. You know cars? I'm like, no, no idea what you're talking about. Uh-uh. Right? And then he's like, soapbox derby. You're at a soapbox derby. And I just went, no way. Here's why this is important. Here's why this is important. Because when Edgewater started and things went off, went going, you know, just Fruitdale Elementary, Rogue Community College, just that whole thing. And there's always like these obstacles you got to come over. I would have a reoccurring nightmare. And the reoccurring nightmare was this. I'd come to church and nobody was there except for my wife and kids. So I'm like, you're going to hear the sermon. And it was just an odd way go, oh, okay, right? Because I'm, oh, come on, right? And then it, it had gone away. But then the moment three and a half years ago when the church opened, guess what nightmares I had again? Because somehow the weight of this and responsibility and now bigger staff and finances, all that weight just, again, I'm like waking up in the middle of the night, ah, there's a nightmare again. When that guy gave me that word three and a half years ago, I have not had that nightmare since. I was set free. That's the power. We need that at times. We need to be set free from things that causes anxiety and worry and stress, edification, exhortation, comfort. I don't think we have lived in a day that needs that more than the time we live in right now. That we wanna be a people that move in that. So how do we do that? I think number one, you just say, Jesus, in the morning, help me to speak words of edification and exhortation and comfort. And maybe you wait on the Lord. Maybe you got a daughter or a son that needs to make some big decisions or are having some trouble. What if you just took some time and said, Lord, I, I want to be able to speak to my daughter or speak to my son or my wife or my coworker or my father or my mom. Just prophetic words of edification and exhortation and comfort to set them free from nightmares and stress and anxiety. And you just took a little while. What if we did that? Maybe God would begin to speak to us in that way. And then we begin to see people set free like I was set free to be able to live the way that God has them, to enjoy the ride. Instead of being like, ah, enjoy the ride. That's why I think it's so powerful. Pray for us as a church. Like if I always wondered, like, 
is it possible that you somehow do that? I don't know. Like when there's a lot of people, these things become more difficult. But is there a way? I don't know. Pray. Pray for me. Pray that I have that kind of way to work this stuff well. Pray that we'd be a place that is a spirit-filled church. Doesn't look like Azusa Street 1906. Looks like Jesus, that we live, speak, and do Jesus things with our lives. That's what I want.